Hello, and thank you for joining us here at the Sonoma Avenue Church of Christ as we continue our study of the gospel called Back to the Start. We've been studying the gospel for several weeks now, and here are just a few things that we have learned. Number one, the gospel is a story that was spoken into a broken world. The world that Jesus came into was very much torn apart by race, religious elitism, uh, social and political constructs, and Jesus came into this place and he brought all of those in particular who were on the outside and gave them a seat at his table. We've seen that the gospel story is a story that is alive. It needs to interact with someone else's life in order to reach its fullness. We've seen that the gospel story is a love story. It's the story of a God who saw his children betray him and run away from him, and this God still waited and watched for his children to return, and when they did, he ran down the road to meet them, and he restored them completely. We have seen that a story told is not as powerful as a story that is lived or experienced, and we are expected to live out the gospel in the lives of those that we encounter. This means that we have to show the love of God to others in a real and tangible way, and we must speak up when we see oppression or injustice in any corner of our world. In order to accept the gospel and to live it out in our lives, there is something that we must do. We have to be willing to look at ourselves honestly and see what is there. We have to be willing to step into the light and, and be exposed by the light, which feels to us like it's a bad thing, but in the kingdom of God, it's actually the best thing because when we step into the light, then God can pour out his grace and healing on us more fully. We've learned that the gospel and the kingdom that God is building through the gospel are truly amazing gifts that we want to be a part of. But we have also been challenged by the expectations that Jesus has for those who would be people of the gospel, those who would be his disciples or followers. He has great expectations indeed. and in, in fact, he said that some people are flat out not fit, not worthy to be his disciples. So what is it that Jesus expects of his disciples? What is it that makes it so difficult to be one? Well, you must follow him and him alone. Now, on the surface, that seems like a pretty easy answer, but Here's what that means. Anything else, good or bad, has to take a back seat to your discipleship, to your following of Jesus and your commitment to him. To that end, we learned just last week that when you become a disciple of Jesus, you are called to leave everything behind for his sake. This means that you may have to make difficult decisions because you are going to find yourselves in conflict with the world and those around you, even those that you love. And if you are a disciple of Jesus, when you find yourself in conflict, even with those you love, Jesus calls you to choose him and to follow him. As a disciple, you cannot have divided attention. Your attention has to be solely on your teacher on the one you are following because if you are listening to any other voice taking direction from anyone or anything but Jesus, then you are not really his disciple. You cannot go two directions in the same time. 
You cannot be influenced equally by two things that are pulling you in different ways. So Jesus told us to weigh the cost to make sure that we are willing to pay what it will cost us to be his disciple. But there was something that we cannot forget in the talk of all of this, what you can and cannot do, what you must do in order to follow him. And that is on the other side of this coin is the fact that we are, while we are called to give everything up, we do so willingly, in fact, joyfully. The reason why is because what we receive in return for what we give up is far greater far, far greater than what we had in the first place. When you find that great treasure in the field, you gladly sell all that you have because you recognize the treasure is worth so much more than everything that you have. But only by selling everything can you buy the field. So these are some challenging concepts for us to wrap our minds around. If you feel like you're behind on any of those things, I encourage you to watch or listen to last week's sermon, which broke a lot of this down for us. But we're going to build on that this week because as much as we covered last week, there is still more ground for us to cover. This morning, we are going to look at a very difficult passage. The thing about this passage, though, is that it hasn't always been as hard for us as it should be. It's one of those passages that we've gotten used to reading or hearing, and we've kind of watered down the meaning of it. And you know what that's like. There are some passage, passages which lose some of their punch or emphasis simply because we live in a different time, and so what Jesus said is not quite as shocking to us or confrontational as it should be or as it would have been to the audience that first heard it. This particular passage, as calmly implied, is not a hard saying for us, but at the time that Jesus said it, there was nothing more difficult that he could have said. So you ready to go? Let's buckle up from Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Something that I don't think we consider when we read the words of Jesus is how tired and worn out he had to have been at several different points. I mean, if you think about his life, 
He was constantly traveling from one place to the next. He didn't have a home. He, he counted on the, the kindness of others for food and for shelter. There were people who always wanted something from him, no matter where he went, whether it was a positive word, a blessing, or a healing, or a miracle of some kind. He was surrounded by people who, who never seemed to get the message that he was putting across. And then besides that, there was a whole nother group of people that wanted to kill him and were actively seeking to find a way to do this. So these words of Jesus that we get here are dark words from a very weary and frustrated Jesus. And it starts out with Jesus getting into this conflict with Peter. Jesus told his disciples that he was going to be handed over, crucified, and that he would rise from the dead. And Peter heard these words, these were not new words, by the way, heard these words, and he did not think that Jesus had the right idea of what God was going to do. So he took it upon himself to put Jesus in his place, and he rebuked Jesus. I talked about this in my intro on Friday, how Peter just could not wrap his mind around what it was that Jesus said was going to happen. And Jesus told him that he had in mind human interests and not the things of God. So Jesus turned and rebuked Peter and called everyone else over so that he could give them these difficult words that he has just given to us. And Jesus told them that in order to be his disciple, one must deny themselves take up their cross, and follow him. What nobody seemed to understand and what we failed to appreciate was how far Jesus was willing to go for the sake of the kingdom to complete the gospel story that God was writing in real time. Jesus was going to go all the way, as far as anyone could possibly go. He was going to give up his own life in order to accomplish what God wanted him to accomplish. So if they were going to be followers of his, then they too were going to have to follow him all the way. This was the cost of belonging to the kingdom. This is the cost of following Jesus. And these people, who were the closest to Jesus, did not comprehend that Jesus was going to have to give up his life in order to complete the gospel story. And they did not know that they were going to have to follow him, that he was literally going to his death, and they would have to follow him even into death as well. I mean, let's just be fair here. They had already left their families, their careers, and their homes behind, but Jesus was telling them they had to give more. There was more that was asked of them. And just like Peter, who got distracted by his own human desires and said, no, God, you could not want this. God could not want this of you, Jesus. This is not the way Jesus speaks to us and says we must deny ourselves 
take up our cross and follow Jesus. Now, when we have approached this teaching, how do we most commonly explain the idea of carrying our cross? We have turned what Jesus has said here into a relatively common expression, actually. This is my cross to bear. And this is a way that we describe some sort of unwanted experience or disability that we might have, or it might even just be a joke that we tell. I'm so handsome and that's just my cross to bear. It can be applied to anything from a minor annoyance to something that's really tough. This is just my cross to bear. And it can be used in this way because its literal sense is so far removed from our own experience that we have difficulty appreciating just how serious of a statement this is from Jesus. And it tells us that the idea of carrying our cross has become a strictly figurative idea related to carrying a burden, but not necessarily anything else. Now, the original hearers would have heard Jesus say something very different indeed. Let's review for a moment, just to give us some more perspective, what happened to Jesus on the day that he died. Jesus was taken before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, where he was put on trial. Uh, there he was accused, uh, false witnesses testified against him. He was blindfolded, beaten, and spit on. Then he was taken before Pilate, where he was put on trial again. He was bound like a prisoner and presented before the governor. Pilate sentenced him to be crucified and had him flogged within an inch of his life. Jesus was then taken <clears throat> excuse me, by the soldiers who mocked him and beat him some more. They put a purple robe on him put the crown of thorns on his head, hit him over the head with a staff, and spit on him. Then, and only at that point, he had to carry the beam of the cross on which he was going to be crucified through the city to the place of his crucifixion. And once he was at that place, he would be crucified. His arms would be stretched out and nailed to that cross piece of wood he had carried and he would be raised into position to hang until he basically suffocated to death. It was a horrible, brutal, painful, public way to die. So what did Jesus tell his followers again? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Think for a moment about the role of making someone carry that cross piece to their execution. What was the purpose of that one particular act? Well, the person who carried their cross, again, was being led to a public execution. And we know from Jesus' story that crowds would gather as the person made their way through the city to the place where they would be crucified. They were, they were forced to walk already bloody and beaten and tired and carry the thing that was going to kill them all the way. I mean, this walk was 
pure psychological and physical torture. You knew that once you picked up that crossbeam, there was no going back. This was it. And every step you took, every step you were forced to take, took you one step closer to the end. There was no going back. So when Jesus told the crowd that they had to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him, there is only one conclusion that they could draw that following Jesus meant they were going to have to give up everything. Everything. Even their own lives. They were following Jesus, not to maybe the victory they thought they were going to, but to death. Imagine if you could wrap your mind around that moment when you're in this place with Jesus, how much more terrifying those words would have been when you watched Jesus walk down the road and carry his cross to the hill to die. It was a shocking statement to anyone that would have heard it. Because ultimately, Jesus was saying, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him or her be prepared to be led out to public execution following in my example. This was the reality of what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus. And it is very different if you know that your decision to follow Jesus is one that will lead you to give up your life for him because that decision then takes on a whole different level of commitment, a level of commitment that we don't identify with or often feel like we are called to. And while the words of the gospel give us language that calls us into new life, we cannot forget that that language includes the imagery of giving up our lives so that we can move into new life. And we cannot ignore what we are called to give up in order to follow. When Paul was reflecting on the importance of the resurrection in his writings, he could not help but reflect on the role of death in his own life. From 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 29 through 30, he said, Now if there is no resurrection... What will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? If I face death every day, yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, Paul understood something. Paul understood that his relationship with Jesus was calling him to give up everything and that it might ultimately put him into position to die. And so while he preached resurrection, he knew that his death could happen at any time. And he understood that living his life for Jesus put that life in terrible danger. From Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 36. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. It's hard to understate the fact that Paul believed he was going to give up his life for Jesus at some point. Now, Jesus told his followers to weigh the cost, and it was for good reason. As the first followers heard the words of Jesus as they saw their leader be led to this public, awful death, they had to decide if they were willing to give up their lives for them. And many decided that for the sake of Jesus, the sake of the kingdom, they would, in fact, walk into death knowing it was their decision to follow that was leading them there. That this is what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And again, this is something that is really hard for us to relate to because we live in a country where we believe in freedom. And right now within our country, there are fights going on in every corner over our rights. What rights we have. How we should be treated, how we shouldn't be treated, what we can be told to do, what we can't be told to do. And our country is being torn apart by these ideas and by these conflicts and by these things. And in every corner, people are fighting for different things and over different things because they believe it is their right as an American. But get this, as a citizen of the kingdom of God, you give up all of that for the sake of the gospel. You give up everything, even your right to life. What does he tell us to do? He tells us to deny ourselves. Not to insist on our rights, not to get what's ours, not to make sure that we are treated fairly or in the right way. He tells us to deny ourselves. And then to pick up our cross and follow him to even death. Having to die for something like our faith is such an abstract idea because it's not one that we've had to face. It's not one that's real to us. And truthfully, if we were completely honest, we don't think we should have to die for Jesus we still have some sort of understanding that this country is somehow a Christian country. That somehow this country was formed on who God is. But anything of this world is not formed on who God is. And anything that puts us in front of others does not follow the gospel or the mission of the kingdom of God. Jesus says, Death is necessary. Denying ourselves is necessary. Picking up our cross is necessary. Because this is what it means to follow him. So what then does it mean to say that we must die? Well, 
the, the interesting thing is that death, in particular our death, actually plays a major role in how should we, we should understand our following of Jesus. Because Jesus still, to this day, expects us to die for him. He still expects us to deny ourselves, to put the kingdom first, to put the gospel in front of all that we do. From 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Again, Paul understood that the followers of Jesus walked this delicate line between life and death. The movement's defining moments are tied to a public execution in a way that can never be undone. And the followers of this man will meet the same end, and the reward is life. Just as Jesus was raised to life, but the thing is that resurrection cannot happen without death being real. Think about how this understanding of death and its reality within the Christian experience changes other passages. If we believe there is a literal death, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. These passages are not talking about an ideological death. They're talking about real death. So here's what I think is the key to all of this for us. In order to be a person of the gospel, a disciple of Jesus, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. We have to be willing to put ourselves, what we want, our human desires, to death so that we can follow the way of God. Peter had to do this. And this is why Jesus rebuked him. Because he had in his heart the concerns of man and not the concerns of God. And the concerns of man said death can't be a part of it. And God said death is necessary for new life. He had to come to grips with that. The disciples had to decide to die for his sake. They had to give up their hopes, their desires, their dreams to follow Jesus even into death. And in so doing, they gave up their own will and they became completely his. And do we think that Jesus calls us to do anything less than this? Jesus has always known that we need to die. We need to die to ourselves, die to this world, give ourselves over completely to him if we are going to be his disciples. We are to follow Jesus into his death, to crucify 
ourselves, our wants, our dreams, our desires, and follow him. And by putting ourselves to death, we are risen into new life where we can really live for him. Because we are motivated in following the plans of God and not our own plans. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You die for him and then you live for him. How do you put yourself to death? Well, I think we have to start at the place where Jesus tells us to start. We have to ask ourselves, are we willing to give up our lives for him? Are we doing that in any remarkable way? Or are we just fitting Jesus into our already full and busy lives? Are we denying ourselves for the sake of him? We can be so deaf to the voice of God because our own wants and desires are so loud in our heads. We cannot hear the voice of God if we are not denying ourselves, putting ourselves aside so that his voice becomes the strongest one. And then we must pick up our cross and follow. We cannot sit at the start and talk about going to our death. We have to pick up our cross and follow, abandoning ourselves along the way so that with each step we take, we know there is no going back. That this is the end of me. But because of Jesus, it's the start of something else. After all, Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verses 35 through 37, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? See, this is why the story is so different. Because Jesus went to the cross, we don't go to the cross in the same way he does. Yes, we crucify ourselves, but on the other side of the cross, just like with Jesus, there is new life that he has provided for us. In losing our life here, we find our life in Jesus Christ. We find our life in Jesus Christ. And so he asks us to give everything up, yes, but he gives us everything in return. It is the treasure in the field, the pearl of great, great, great wealth. The thing that is so obviously good and great that we would give up everything for it, even our own lives. Because Jesus helps us to understand that the decision in the end is really a simple one because you see, your life here is going to end one way or another, but if you die as a disciple of Jesus, then life, real life, goes on and on and on. So don't be afraid of losing your life, because when you lose it, that's when you'll find it. And to me, it feels like that's something worth dying for. Thank you for today. Join us next week when 
we talk about how heavy this burden actually is. God bless you. We'll see you soon.